Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Want support. Curtis Fleming is there on the edge of the air. Fleming for What's Craig it? Hignett. Hit it, Higgy. Higgy hits the track. Oh! coming alive again. Janino wants the ball played to him. Hello and welcome back to the Bora Breakdown Podcast with me, Johnny, Dana and Tom. We are the Bora Podcast that gives you the ins, the outs, the ups, the downs of Middlesbrough Football Club. Um, before we start this week, uh, we've got a little announcement to make. Um, we've got a special guest coming on the Bora Breakdown Podcast on Wednesday, premiering on YouTube and on the podcast apps on Wednesday at 7pm. Um, so make sure you subscribe to our channels um, so you get the notification to watch the Watch the video, but also if you want to listen on the podcast, you, you absolutely can. But I just want to say that this podcast was absolutely amazing to chat to. We really enjoyed it, and when we spoke, spoke afterwards as well, we just it was such a nice podcast to do. And I know that we don't do many guests, um, and to be brutally honest, we've always kind of wanted to build this podcast with us three slash four, if you count Elliot as well. And it's also our little our place where. We just like to share our thoughts on the board, but we spoke this year to say, like, yeah, you know what? Maybe we should get guests on now because you guys have absolutely peppered our DMs and peppered us in the ads. And we just think, yeah, you know what? Let's just do it. Um, it's part. It was part of our roadmap anyway for like next year or two anyway. But let's just we just decided to bring it forward. So hopefully, he is the one of many. We do have tied up. We have two guests tied up at the end of the season. We also have a couple pretty much there thereabouts pretty much done done deals <laughs> so yeah um some more breakdown news for you then i hope you you really enjoy the podcast on wednesday but look out on our socials um for a teaser on sunday but then also the announcement on monday so yeah that's all done let's chat about the borough instead um and you can say controversy was the word of the week um and it wasn't particularly great um yesterday with the decision from Gavin Ward, but we'll come by that in a second, where Borough lost 2-1 against Swansea, leaving us ninth in the championship, seven points off the playoffs. But I want to start with currently first, um, have a little day to it, you know, build it up. It was a nice little win for us. Um, then uh, it was Borough's sixth away win of the season, courtesy <coughs> of a, a Grant Hall and George Savile uh, winner. And, you know, Borough now equal 
in terms of points and uh, points for home and away now this season. So Borough at home are now 10th um, in the league for, for home and away. They've also got 27 points, 23 for away. And goals is equal, uh, near enough equal at 20 goals at home and 21 goals away from home. So it's very, very interesting to see stats are quite similar in that front. But Grant Hall, Dana, um, he scored his first Borough goal on, on Tuesday night and it meant a lot to him. You could quite clearly see that. But how how happy have you been with Grant Hall? Do you think you've, have you been impressed with his return since since his follow, like following his injury, really? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it, it took him a while to get into the swing of things because obviously he got an injury early doors and then following on from that, when he got back from that injury, he picked up another one in training. So it's been quite a difficult introduction for him at Borough, but he slotted in really, really well considering. And, you know, 14 aerial duels against Coventry, the most out of any player on the pitch. And you can't really ask for more from a defender, particularly in that game. Um, you know, he's been he's been fantastic. And to be fair, the only negative that I can pick out from him in his recent games was actually yesterday because um, in the build-up to the, the penalty incident, he actually lunges in on, on Jamal Law um, on halfway. And then uh, as the sort of move progresses... If he hadn't have done that, he probably would have been in the space to intercept that cutback. But, you know, that's just me nitpicking, really. You could, um, you know, blame Nathaniel Mendes-Lang for giving the ball away. Obviously, George Savile as well. But um, he has been solid. And, um, you know, to be fair, we've sort of forgotten about um, Grant Hall a little bit because of his injury. But he's he's come back and he's been absolutely fantastic. Well... Dana, hold your horses about Swansea. We'll come on to that in a second. So I can I can feel I can see the smoke coming from you um already. So just just keep just just keep tight for a sec. And uh Tom, George Savile didn't start obviously of course on in the middle of the week, but he came on, scored the winner, and he's now got five goals and four assists, which is now joint top uh, for goal contributions this season. Do you think he's been a player that's massively underrated? Uh, yeah, a little bit. I mean, firstly, what a goal it was. What an absolute screamer. There was absolutely no chance any goalkeeper was ever going to save that. A goal this season? Uh, um, yeah, potentially. But uh, I think he's probably just been a kind of uh, a victim of the change in systems. Uh, sometimes he hasn't been as consistent up until the last couple of games where he's came back into the team. It's maybe given him something to fight, fight for as soon as he got back in. Um, but I think he's yeah we, we've changed systems a couple of times in the last couple of months I think he's probably just been a, a bit of a victim of that considering we couldn't drop Marcy with the way he's been playing or even Housen being the captain yeah it, it's it's been interesting I feel like the, the fans are, and all the fans are always going to have that George Saddle 8 million um, in the back pocket but I feel like he's been really really good this year fans are slowly starting to forget that price tag now and and see him for a, a, a valued member of the team. And, you know, he does bring a lot to the table. I'm quite glad that he's doing well this year. I believe he was one of our he was one of our picks for players to watch this year as well at the start of the season. So it, it's nice to see that come through too. Um, but all in all, I've been very, very happy with George Savile and I think he deserves more time uh, on, on the pitch for sure. But let's chat about um, Neymar, Tom, because he, like George Savile, has had got four goals, five assists, so it's nine. They're both joint top on goal contributions. Um, but why do you think Neil Warnock's been keeping him on the bench? Because he quite clearly brings something to the table, doesn't he? Yeah, definitely. But I think it's it's like we talked about, uh, I think it was a couple of weeks ago, uh, Neil Warnock now has options done. Um, so 
you know, we've got Cavano, we've got, got Balassi, um, you know, and, and it's been a long season uh, with, with a lot of games coming thick and fast, so we we can't um, just expect, uh, you know, uh, Johnson and Watmore to, to play every game. There does need to be some rotation. Um, and, and I think the way Cabano in particular has been playing um, has been enough to kind of keep his place in the team. Uh, same with Watmore, but he, even yesterday, kind of having having Balassi there, like he, he's showed some some glimpses of class when he's been on. So I think Johnson's been unlucky, but I feel, still think he should deserve to be in and around the team. Yeah, it, it's a strange one for him. I think for, for me, I think we look a lot more dangerous with him in the side. Um, I think in an ideal world, you would probably like... I don't know. It, it's hard because we know we've got options done. It's quite difficult because you've got Tav, who's been very, very good this season. You've also got Johnson, who's high in goal contributions. You've also got Yannick Balassi, who looks very dangerous when he's on the pitch. Cabano looks good. Um, too. Menez Lang, I don't think he's ready just yet. But then also you've got Duncan Watmore too. So it, it's quite a balancing act, really. But Dana, do you think Neymar does deserve a start in this team? Because, quite frankly, he, he has been contributing to the goals the most. I think he should start for the rest of the season, to be honest. Him and Cabano. Although I think it is difficult because yeah, Neil Warnock probably has too many options at the moment. He's got to try to fit you know, the likes of Baller down that left-hand side, Johnson down that left-hand side. Then you've got the likes of Tav, Cabano, Balassi, Watmore, and then a striker. You've got to fit all those players in a team, so he's he definitely does have options, Don. He probably has too many options to be able to fit too the likes of... Done. Yeah, too many options, Don, to fit the likes of, of Neymar in there. But we do rely on him. You know, the, the, there was a, a, graph, a graphic that came out a couple of weeks ago where it showed teams main creative outlets and and Marvin Johnson was our most creative outlet so we do rely on him quite heavily both him and Tav um, for me are are Boris two creative forces Um, and when we do play with Marvin Johnson I mean on his day he's he's got a very good delivery in at the box and you know I think that's what we sort of need you've got Cabano on one side being direct bringing the pace testing backlines and then Marvin Johnson isn't as direct but he definitely has that that end product um, for the most part. So for me, I think you should start Cabano and Marvin Johnson for the rest of the season if he can. Um, like I mentioned, he does have a lot of options now, so it's just how he fits those in there. But I definitely think that Marvin Johnson does deserve to start. Yeah, well, he is out of contract at the end of the season, um, which could be a bit of a surprise if Bora let him go. But Tom, do you think, would you actually be surprised if, if Bora didn't activate his one-year extension? Yeah, I think I, I would be surprised at that. I think he's earned it this season. Um, I think you only have to to look at the stats and the way he's played uh, to see that he has. <clears throat> I think um, going forward into next season, we will probably look to add on the wings. Um, obviously, we've got him and, and what more. Whether or not the likes of uh, Balassi and Mendes Lang, because they're both uh, out of contract at the end of the season, whether or not we look to go all out and bring those in or a couple of different options. Um, I, I do still believe you need kind of two players for every position. So um, I, I think Johnson deserves to be one of them next season. Yeah. Do you think Mac Ball has maybe came out, came out the side maybe? Just like given the, the form that Ball has been in this year, it's it's made things really, really difficult for him to fill in at left back. I think with the options we're going forward, I feel like he's just been a victim of the system, really, hasn't he? So it's a strange, a strange one. Um, but fair play to him. I think Boris should extend it. 
if we can't extend it, we need some bodies in and fast because we have quite a lot of people out of contract. There's <clears> two <throat> goalkeepers that are out of contract. Um, obviously, Bettinelli's on loan, but he is a, a free agent in the summer. Jordan Archer is also a free agent in the summer. Um, we've got you know the likes of Balassi leaving. You've got uh, Mendes Lang not going to be there. You've got uh, Fletcher, Asamba Longa, Johnson. You know, there's quite a lot going out the door again. We could be very, very thin on the ground. Um, and that could be two pre-seasons in a row where we're very thin. So it's, it's a bit worrying. But I think for me, I think we should extend uh, Johnson's deal for another year. But Borat did extend a contract this week um, with Neil Warnock accepting the job for another year, uh, which leaves will, will leave us all very horny for Warney, um for us right now. But guys, are you, are you happy with Neil Warnock staying on? Are you, you know, are you happy one more year of Warney? Yeah, I am. I think it, obviously the clarity of it is probably the best thing from fans' perspective as well because they had the meeting on the Wednesday, I think, and then it was announced on the Thursday. So it's good that there was a quick turnover of communication from the club about the, the future um, of Neil Warnock. And I mean, he's the best man for us, really. In a period of uncertainty, I think you need somebody like Neil Warnock and somebody that knows the game inside out has been a part of man, you know management for 40-odd years. I think... It's probably not the time now with the pandemic and whatnot to be going with risky projects. I mean, that's what we want as a long-term goal, of course. It's what I want. It's what I've always wanted. But for now, I think it's it's probably best that we stick with Neil Warnock and let's move forward now with him, you know, let him bring his players in, let him try to carve some sort of long-term stable style of play and and let's see what we can do because he's got the track record we've obviously come on leaps and bounds this season from last season in terms of I think performances and in league positions so I'm I'm really happy with it yeah and and like I said the communication of it the the clarity is is really good to see yeah um I I echo everything that you say there. There's a nice little fun fact that was on Sky Sports yesterday that Neil Warnock's been managing for 41 seasons and Steve Cooper is 41 years old. Um, so it shows how much of a, a fine wine Neil Warnock is, you know. Um, he's only got better with age and hopefully he takes us to the, the promised land maybe next season. Like, who knows? Who knows? But, uh, Tom, Dana mentioned it there. Bora have clarity now with, with Warnock staying on. Um, do you think that's going to allow us to kick on early now from plan for next season um, given that playoffs pretty much look like pretty much dead in the water now. Definitely but I think it also allows the the fans to plan for next season as well um, I thought the the timing of it was quite good in that we've announced it around the same time as, as we've announced the uh, the early bird season ticket drive and I think uh, Borough put a start out this week that about half of the early bird season tickets have been taken up by new fans who, who it wasn't rolling over for um, so that that's great. You know, it, it's people are obviously happy with with what he's doing, and they're happy he's going to be here next year. They they want to watch that, so so that's good. But also planning transfer wise, I don't think Warnock would have stayed if he didn't have kind of certain assurances that he'd get the the types of players he needs for next season. I mean, you you look at kind of the, the jobs he's done in the past with with say Cardiff and uh, and the likes where. It usually kind of takes a couple of seasons to to get all the players in, but then you're making a, a promotion push. I think uh, if we can do that next season, back him as much as we can. Obviously, the the season ticket drive will probably help with that, with with it being a, a source of revenue that we missed out on for the last year. But just just give him the the types of players that he needs um, to play the system that he wants to play. 
carve out, uh, as Dana said, a, a style of play, um, and, and then then kind of really go for it. I think short term, it's uh, it, it's what we need. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And I think the the big bonus of that is when you were saying there around around players um, bringing players in and us having that clarity now that Warnock's going to be here for for next season. It kind of allows us to start planning our preparations for next season already. You know, players who are out of contract or don't have clubs already can can you know that they can come to Middlesbrough knowing that Warnock's going to be there. Warnock knows who he can get. We can also start conversations with different players who we want in. And it, it, it's just nice to be proactive on that front. And it's something that Middlesbrough haven't really done in the past. We've been quite reactive to a lot of things. But hopefully this is a change in how we, we run as a club. I think a, a very proactive nature could be could be and should be the way forward for us. And you were saying it there, Tom, but Bor announced the record sales um, for for the early birds. Obviously half of them being new new fans coming in. Um, but Dana, do you think this is like a huge boost and a sign of fans and the club coming together now for the new season. Oh, definitely. I mean, absence makes the heart grow fonder, isn't it? As they say, and I think with what we've had now, I think twelve, well, exactly a year now since fans were last at, at an away game, and the last time for a lot of, of fans that they were last at a game. So it's been tough for a lot of people that you know you got the matches and you win you say I'm never coming here again because we you know we get beat by Barnsley or get beat by Lugan but you always come back you know you always come back you always get people that say that but they're there for the very next game and it's just it you know you're enticed to borrow that that's what it is it's just they are enticing and it's hard to sort of fall out of love with them although apathy does set in sometimes but you know you, you still have that that love for the club and I think it's really been amplified with the absence of being in the stadium um so i think it, it definitely is a sense of, of togetherness now that we need to you know move forward together and you know out of a really difficult period i think something special is, is blossoming i hope um and and i hope and pray as well that we can get back into the riverside as soon as possible because i miss those chips and curry and i miss <laughs> I miss the people behind me whinging non-stop about Adam Clayton, even though he left the club last year. You know, it's I, I just miss it, and I think a lot of people do, which is why they've signed up. Yeah, it, I think you're absolutely spot on with like the with with people missing it and not being able to to go to games and appreciate with everyone's been you know isolating really and not being able to do much. So they might have saved some cash if they've been able to keep the job. So it's like little things like that where it might have just given them like that little bit of. That, a little bit of pleasure what they want to do for next year but it's nice and I can't wait for all the optimism to be around the sun's going to be shining on, on in August you know and Warnock's in he's made a few signings people are excited and then we'll get beat to off Luton and it'll just be all back to normal and uh, that is what I'll live for so it's uh, it, it'd be nice to have that but yeah I think next year's a, a very very good season for us but I think for right now now, we're going to come on to Swansea now, but in terms of what we should do for the remainder of the season, I would love to. I would love to see the likes of Isaac Fletcher, um, Hayden Hackney, Sam Folarin, uh come back into the team, or Conor Malley to come into the team and show us what they can do really and start a plan for the future. A lot's being said about how good these academy players coming through are. Um, so let's let's showcase. Let let's see what they've got. The playoffs are pretty much dead for me. I, I can't see us going. Up. And to be honest. I'm going to put it on record. I don't want us to go up this year either because we're not good enough and we'd just get absolutely spanked in the Premier League anyway if we did and we'd get spanked in the playoffs. So, And you don't want that tattoo on your ass. 
Well, you know what? Like, I came, I was like quite happy with the tattoo in the end. I was like, you know what? If we actually do get promoted in this season, I would happily get the tattoo because it's an unbelievable that achievement. You know, well, I'm not going to do it next year because I know fine well we couldn't be in and around it, but um, I'll see how I feel. I think I was really frustrated on that podcast. So, like, just in terms of like how we were running things, and I was like, you know what? We got, I'll get a tattoo on my ass, but this year. Maybe next season, Warney has to get a tattoo on his ass. Maybe saying like, <laughs> "Horny for Horny for a breakdown." If they don't go, you know what I mean. Maybe he has to do that. That's an idea and a <laughs> half. It's just like it's just like, just crosses out Sharon, just puts Bora breakdown. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, it'd be funny though. It'd be funny. But he was very angry yesterday, Neil Warnock, and, and there's an absolute no reason. I can understand why, and we'll chat about Swansea now, because I know a lot of people have been waiting to hear our reaction on this. And Borough made four changes to the win uh, covering yesterday with Pulaski, Watmore, and Savile in Moore's coming in. I'm going to take us through the game, Dana. Um, I'm going to start with the first half. Um, what were your thoughts on it? Because it seemed like Balassi and Watmore rotating as that central striker. It just didn't seem to work, did it? No, it didn't, and they were sort of splitting off into wide areas, and it meant that there was just a gaping space in the middle, which was being occupied by George Savile at times. He was acting like a replacement centre-forward, which was weird to see, but no, it didn't work. Um, We've seen a little bit of Balassi as a sort of central striker, and I don't quite think it's working at the moment, although what I will say is when Chip Ratpom came on, I think we had more fortunes with it, um, better fortunes with it, should I say, and I think them two worked quite well together initially before um, Palassi was taken off. And he looked dangerous. He looked our best player in the second half. Do understand why he came off, though, because he probably can't complete 90 minutes yet. Same with um, probably Cabano and then Mendes Lang as well. But, yeah, it, it didn't work. Um, he changed it, and I think the substitutes made an impact. But, yeah, it, it didn't work initially. Yeah, I just want to say about Chubrapham, I thought he was really good yesterday. Um, I know yeah. like a lot of fans were probably... He probably went under the radar, just given the, the decisions that was made. But I thought Chuba really brought some to the table. He, he gave us like a vocal point up front. He created space for the for, for the wingers to get in behind, and also made things really difficult for the Swansea, def- Swansea defenders. So, you know, fair play, Chuba. Keep it up, and hopefully you can keep bringing more stuff like that to the table because we need it to be honest. Given that with Fletcher's injury and Brit potential injury as well, so he's the only fit striker we've got. So he needs to bring some to the table. But then, then the Swansea goal. Uh, bit of a shambles. <laughs> um, yeah. Housen and Bola mix up, um, and I use the flattered effort of Jed put Swansea ahead. Go on then, poor goal, wasn't it? It was, yeah. It just highlights the lack of authority, really. I mean, there, there was there's been so much clamour for Johnny Housen as captain, but I mean, I, I do think he shouts for it. But Housen isn't the type of captain where, or the type of person and player that has that authority he said himself in an interview earlier this season that he's not the most vocal he's quite reserved off the pitch and on the pitch at times and um i think we need we need a maniac really i think we need a, a shit house sam Marzi, maybe yeah i was thinking that i think sam Marzi, last year. yeah sam Marzi's more of a subtle shit house i think we need an out and out shit house we need somebody that is you know 
got a Kevin Musk at somebody, you know, I think somebody that is incredibly vocal and that's what we need. And I think that moment just highlighted that we don't really have a lot of leaders and we don't have a lot of authority, even with the, the you know, the player that has the, the captain's armband. But yeah, it was it was very disappointing because I don't think that they deserved it. We were playing well at that point, you know, we were managing the game. I thought we, we stifled Swansea and it was a game that I was quite confident with, um, confident in because of that. And the game was panning out how I sort of wanted it to. And then we shot ourselves in the foot and, you know, Bora are the, the, the masters of their own downfall, really. So it was it was a shame. But yeah, it was a, it was an incredibly poor goal to concede. Yeah, I mean, poor was a, a question one. But yeah, it's interesting that you mentioned that with Johnny House. And it's interesting what Neil Warnock thinks a leader is or what a captain is. Um, I know that a captain may not be someone who's the most focal point in the dressing room. They don't have to be, really. I think with a captain, they've got a... I think... Housen's captain because he's so consistent in his performances and it's kind of a he's setting the example for everyone else to come in um, but I completely agree with you Dan I feel like we do need someone who will be very shithousery next season um, you know we've got Marzi there and Marzi's fantastic at it we just need I think a bit more shithousery performers to come in and be that leader and be a, make us a really horrible team you know what I mean like yeah, yeah. I don't want us to play a long I don't want us to play a long ball football because that does just Oh, I hate it. <laughs> I hate that, that kind of game. was the worst game I've ever watched in my life. Um, but we just need, if we can bring those players in, make us difficult to 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 be difficult to beat, but then also have those bodies in. I think it'd be vital for us next year to to really build on, but then also hopefully have that like stalk about us. Where in the remember in the Premier League under Tony Pulis, where everyone used to hate going to stalk. Like, mm. that's kind of what I want for Borough, but less of the long ball. <laughs> um, but you know what I mean? Like a fiery, a fiery place to go, and they had the place to do it. Um, but in terms of... I've got a question here, guys, um, and it's from... He says... Um, it's uh, He's at Knights Lions, so he's clearly a Jonathan Woodgate fan. Um, he <laughs> says, last last three games, uh, we've conceded due to the schoolboy defending. Who was meant to be in charge of it? Uh, this defendant and marshalling. Um... So I'm trying to take that. Who should be in, who should be in charge of that? Should it be the goalkeeper and Bettinelli, or should it be the captain, or should it be the centre backs? Because we're making quite a few defensive mistakes lately, aren't we? I feel like it should be a combination. I think uh, you you always need a, a goalkeeper with with a certain presence. I think the the last time we we saw um, kind of such a, a dramatic difference in that was when Jason Dale got re- replaced with Shea Given. Uh, you, you could tell straight away how how much of an impact that was having on on Marshall and the defence, and we suddenly started keeping clean sheets. Um, I, I think as well, it's always good to have a, a, a vocal character in in the back line, probably like a quite a vocal centre back to to organise the line. That is what I was hoping uh, Grant Hall would be this season. Um, kind of a more experienced head to, to play alongside Dale Fry. And it is a very young back line as well with uh, with Dyke Steele and, and, and Baller either side as well. And obviously uh, McNair, I think, is, is mid-20s, but he's not... He, he was... He's played all over. He's centre-back, centre-midfielder, right-back, centre-back. So you, you couldn't blame him for, for kind of not knowing uh, where he's supposed to be in that back line sometimes. But yeah, I, I'd want someone like uh, going back a, a Gareth Southgate type at centre back just to to tell everyone where to be and combine that with with uh, quite a confident goalkeeper to to marshal that back line. 
Yeah, so I feel like you're not a, a big fan of Batanelli this season, Tom. Um, but in terms of that, and you mentioned him earlier, like Dykesdale, that's where the controversy started yesterday. And that's where Neil Warnock pointed out in his press conference as he was fuming about um, Anthony Dykesdale and, and Manning. Um, does Warnock have a point there, Tom? Because was there intent to hurt Dykesdale or do you feel like Warnock's clutching on straws a little bit? I feel like it was probably one of those things where it's like, you know, first 10 minutes, let them know you're there type type tackle. Um, the, I'm sure Swansea probably will have identified that Dyke Seals had injury problems recently. And they're like, oh, maybe if we can like give him quite a uh, a hard tackle uh, and, and put him off, uh, you know, in case he gets scared of being injured again. Um, and unless, unfortunately, they've kind of followed all the way through and, and actually injured him, but... I think Warnock's got a point, um, but I don't think it was intent to injure. I think it was more intent to um, to put him off his game. Yeah, it's it's an interesting one, but I mean, like letting let him know you're there early. Is, uh, there's one way of doing it, and then there's obviously another way of him getting injured. And at first, like I didn't really see anything of it, and in the replay, I thought, oh, they've just came together really. And then like the foul for the free kick, I thought, yeah, that's quite. That's quite deliberate, to be honest. I don't think he's he's trying to go for the ball at all. There, I think that's a clear, a clear foul. And unfortunately, Dykesdale's gone gone off injured. And to be fair, Jed came on. and I thought he was okay. And then obviously he got subbed off. But we'll come on to Jed in a second. But the disallowed goal, Tom. <laughs> on the bright side, it, it's nice to know that Mark Baller is the new Borough or Carlos, because um, he can absolutely fire on top bins. But What's your thoughts on the disallowed effort? Like, come on, I want to hear. I want to hear your thoughts on this because oh, it's an absolute where to start shambles. with this one. On, right. it, it was an absolute shambles. Like, I don't know what sport it is that the referee is actually qualified to referee, but after yesterday, I can only assume it's not football, and he's turned up to the wrong place to 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 do his job because he didn't have a clue. Like, if we if we can see that from a camera miles, uh, well, not miles away, yards away in the in the other stand. But he's five yards away and couldn't see that Balassi clearly redirected the ball. Like, he, he shouldn't be doing that job. And I'd say, you know, this is the type of thing where you should demote him to Northern League, but I wouldn't even want to inflict that on them. That was an absolutely awful decision. Yeah, it's a terrible decision. But I think mean, with, with what you were saying there, Dana, a lot of fans and pundits were absolutely mystified by that decision. Um, Balassi just fell and Fulton was just, it's crazy, really. And. Surely it's the wrong decision. It's, it was surely either a goal or a penalty for right? Yeah, I mean, if anything, Jay Fulton kicks Balassi. I don't, I just, I mean, his touch is bad, uh, Balassi. It's a little bit heavy, but then he nips in and he, he, you know, exactly what Tom said, he gets the ball before him. And it's, mm. it, it's a, I mean, when it was going on in real time, I was thinking, what's he blown for? Because I thought initially when Housen is on the far side and he nips the ball past whoever was, was there with him, that that would be called for a foul, if anything, and then, no, that was fine. And then you have, um, you know, Blassi slides in, perfect assist, really, for, for Bowler, and then he blows for that, and I'm thinking, well, what, what have you given that for? And it's just, it's absolutely baffling. I, I can't I can't comprehend it. I mean, I don't know what he's he's seeing. Um, it's it's just absolutely baffling. Balassi wins the ball. I I can't. I just can't put it into words how frustrating that is. Because again, like the Jared Branthwaite incident at Blackburn, which by the way I thought was going to be the peak of the incompetent referee in this season, um, but somehow we found a decision <laughs> yesterday that was so much worse. Um, you know that would have changed the entire complexion of the game because it's one-one. Borough were dominating at that point and. 
you know, he blows it for a foul against Borat. Just, it's just ridiculous. It honestly is. It's an absolute farce. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, farce is a, a nice way of putting it. But I agree with you, then. And I think if we if we did if that goal stood, I think we would have went on to win the game, and yeah, we same. actually probably would have probably would have won won the game with Sam Maldi's effort in the ninety first minute. Um, he set it up on the half volley. You could have been mistaken for a crab probably yesterday, Sam Marzi, I think, um, because of the way he was moving across the side of the pitch and breaking things up and redistributing the ball, I thought he was absolutely superb. And we thoroughly deserved his goal, but do you think he was um, the best player for Borough yesterday, Tom? Do you think he deserved his man of the match? Yeah, definitely. I think um, particularly over the last few games, he's been one of our best players. Um, I, I think he was at the start of the season as well, but I think everyone's had a, a bit of inconsistency. The whole team has, so you can't just blame him for that. Um, but definitely over the last few games, since that change in system, he, he's been one of the standout players for me. On the flip side, Dana, um, Jed, he came on uh, for Dice Steele in the early in the first half and then was subbed off again. And we, we have seen that quite a few times this season, not not with Middlesbrough, but in the Premier League, Callum Hudson, the die at Chelsea. Um, see it on Moyes Keane at Everton last year it's not very good for for subs to get subbed off um, but do you think this was tactical or based on Jed's performance yesterday? Maybe a bit of both but I do think it was more tactical because although Jed is an attacking player he's an attacking fullback whereas Nathaniel Mendes Lang is an out and out winger so I can see why Warnock made that change he said himself he wanted to go for the win he wanted to go for the three points of course we probably could have got that had the referee not decided to give the victory to Swansea um, but what I will say with Jed I've seen a lot of negative comments about him and I think a lot of them are incredibly harsh what people uh, are not quite acknowledging is that this is actually his first full season you know, as a senior player yeah because last season he was brought into the team I think around December time he made his debut so he didn't start under Jonathan Woodgate as an option and so this is his first full season and the lad is 20 years old I do feel as though sometimes fans want to build a player up as quickly as they want to tear them down and I don't quite understand that opinion and that mentality. Of course, call out you know, and be critical of his errors during the game but people writing him off generally is just a little bit unfair in my opinion. I think we do need to gain a little bit of perspective. Like I said, his first full season, he's going to make mistakes. He's not even you know, 15% finished article, you know what I mean? It's just it's just a little bit unfair, I think. And, um, of course, his, this season so far hasn't been as good as, as last season. His standards have dropped, but he's only a kid, you know. He's, he's going to grow, he's going to go through periods of, you know, where it's not going well for him. It's how he adjusts, it's how he deals with it. And we spoke about this on the podcast a, a couple of episodes ago, that we need to be patient with these youngsters, and I, I, th- I just think it's wrong, in my opinion, that you know there are so many harsh comments about Jed. I, I don't, I don't agree with it at all. Yeah, I think it's with, with the game now. When you see the likes of Haaland, Mbappe, um, Kai Havertz, uh, Hudson Odoi, uh, Billy Gilmore, the real like some really good talents. Uh, coming through, and obviously, I think if you look at the England side as well, like mm. the, the England, t- the English players, English players are coming through is absolutely incredible going forward. When you look at like 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 Sancho, Sterling's only still only twenty five, Rashford's still twenty three, twenty yeah, Ford, Phil Forden, who by the way I think he's going to be the probably one of the best English talents in a long, long time. Um, it's it's so easy to compare them, and different players 
mature at different times, and obviously some are so much better than the others. Like Jed is still very young; he's twenty year old. Tav took him years, five managers to get to where he is now, and I think it's just like a building blocks for him. I can understand criticism though because I don't think he's been a good, as good this year. Um, maybe Mrs. Manjaro is a bit too much, and that's affecting him. Um, <laughs> but it's uh, it's it's um, you just got to be patient with him, I think. And yeah, I, I get that players aren't always good at times, and I understand that you can't be elite every week because if you were elite every week, you wouldn't be playing for Millsville Football Club. You'd be at the very very top, and he's probably not that just yet. But I do believe in him, though. I think he, yeah. I think he's got all the attributes there. I think he can still be a fantastic player for us, but. At this moment in time, I just don't think he's he's been as good. But who knows? He's still got a big contract with Borough. Um, maybe if we bring someone else, we've got Daniel Fisher and Dyke still there. Maybe send him out on loan next year, get him some more experience where he's going to play more regular and become a lot better. Um, and we'll we'll see what we do with him. But I think yeah, I think you're right, Dana. The criticism can be really harsh at times. And don't get me wrong, we've been harsh. I think uh, on the podcast at times, but. I think when we look at it in, in the big picture and that, that big perspective and take the emotion out of it, you can really see the direction players going and, and understand that time really is perfect for players coming through the system. Um, but in terms of... Let's move on because there was one big controversy point and it. it's going to lead us nicely to the debate, but it's 97 minutes in. It's like 95 minutes in. Ball comes on the wing. Lay the cross. George Sowell puts a foot in. The referee, Gavin Moore, blows for a corner. And about 10 seconds later, it's a penalty kick. And IU puts it away and gives Swansea the points. Um, both, both yous, what's your thoughts on the decision? Absolutely ridiculous. Uh, honestly, he doesn't have a clue. The referee doesn't have a clue. He, you know, he signals for a corner. He trots over forward two or three steps and then suddenly decides to have a penalty. Now... Some people are saying that he's had the shout from you know the linesman. He doesn't even look. He doesn't even look towards the linesman. And how the hell can he see it? You know, it's just. Yeah. I mean, it, it it's just ridiculous. I, I think he he has been. You know, he's probably saw Connor Roberts in his face screaming and decided, oh shit, I better give a, a penalty. You're alright, mate. I'll I'll give it for you. You know, I don't know how he can give such a, a big decision at the dynamics of a game, which will potentially throw a point away from for a team that has probably you know deserved it on a decision that he doesn't know. You know, he, he, he signals for the corner. Like, I just, I don't understand it. Plus, I don't think it's a penalty anyways. Um, I think George Savile gets the ball, although what I will say is when you go in in the box like that, um, you are giving the referee a decision to make. Um, but Percy, I don't think it's a, a penalty. You know, you see it from a, a particular angle. Um, <clears throat> that's, you know, I'm obviously going to clutch onto that angle but I don't think it's a penalty and it was a massive sucker punch because we deserved to get something out of that game a point was the very least that we deserved and you know the referee It, like I said I thought the Jared Branthwaite incident was going to be the worst that we see this season you know we saw two bad decisions yesterday and you know the, the referee just won I thought Keith Stroud was the final boss of all referees that he was the worst that you wouldn't find any worse than Keith Stroud but my God, Gavin Ward, get out of this league. Get out of this profession. I can't even comprehend the decisions that he made yesterday. He doesn't have a clue. I could be a better referee than him, given his performance yesterday. It was fucking... Oh. Time out. Time out. Awful. <laughs> okay, Dave, we'll come back to you in a second then. Uh, Tom, it was a bit of a shambles of a decision, wasn't it? 
I mean, it's more than a bit of a shambles. Um, I've, I said previously, like I wouldn't even wish him on on Northern League. I think what he needs to do is find a profession where he doesn't need to use his eyes because he's clearly not very good at that. Like both times, I mean, Savile clearly got the ball for me yesterday. I've yet to see a replay angle where he didn't get the ball, and both times the disallowed goal and that. The ball clearly changes direction. Now, if that happened, how has that happened without him even touching the ball? I mean, he had the the decision right at first, given the corner, and then it was just absolute nonsense to change his mind. Like, yeah, just just find a job where you don't have to use your eyes, work in the dark or something, because you're not good at refereeing. I feel like this has gone Bora Fan TV. <laughs> work in the dark. <laughs> um, I, you know what? I can understand why he's given it. I can uh, really understand why he's given it. Yeah, I can't The reason well, why though. I can see it is I can see I can see why he's done it because <laughs> the way Savile goes in, yes, he does get a foot on the ball, but also he goes. He, he, I could, I'll be interested to see in the report that I think he's given it for like a follow a follow through on the on the on the on Manning. But for me, the gate the ball's gone there. In my perspective, like I sound like a bit like Neil Warnock here because I am also professional. I'm also a qualified referee, uh, so it's. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I can. The, re- the referee's like, he's probably give it for the follow through coming through, but I don't think that it is a foul. The, the challenge has already gone. The ball's out of play when the follow through is made, so it doesn't really have an impact on anything. Um, so you can't give a foul for something when the ball's. Well, you can when it's out of play. Obviously, if someone hits someone, you can go foul. But like in the way it's being portrayed, I think the corner was the right decision initially. And if you're not a hundred percent in that moment then don't give it because that will open up a box of frogs for you in the later in the game. Um, and sometimes it does balance out. Like, say if, you, if, say if you're refereeing a game and you don't give a foul, you'll see a reaction very, very quickly from both parties. So then that opens up a nice little perspective for you to give the next couple of decisions because you get it right ten, nine times out of ten. But for that one, for me, I can see why I gave it, but I don't think it's a penalty. I think it's very, very harsh. Very harsh. I'm so um, sick of but... Andre Ayew, by the way. Can can like, I know Andre Ayew was going to leave Swansea in the summer. He should have done because he always scores against us. And I'm proper sick of it. He's like become the John Stead of uh, against it's us. Awesome. He just always scores against us. I'm sick of it. I can't wait to see the back of him. Oh, he's a good player. Yeah, he should. He probably shouldn't it... be at the championship. No, he shouldn't be. Yeah, I feel like. He should probably be in a lower league Premier League team. I feel like he could be at Brighton or something, you know? Like I feel like that could be like he's like he's in the Premier League, but he's not gonna play for like a top six club. Um but he's he's a good talent and fair player, like he's he's punished us yesterday and, and that's it really, you can't do much about it because the game's done now and it's frustrating, the season's probably over and I can understand why 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 um the likes of the players and the staff have all came together online and invented the frustrations. It's the commitment and the togetherness we want to see. But it is frustrating and it's not just the, it's not the first time that refereeing decisions has happened. And it hasn't just happened at Borough either. You can speak to a lot of fans. Um, I've been on, on WhatsApp this morning with Billy um, Billy from B-Spot at Brentford. Billy Eyelash. Um, Billy <laughs> is Eyelash. it Billy Eyelash? Uh, yeah, uh, Billy Eyelash. And... Uh, Sport of Ryan, obviously from the second tier, um, and he's of course a, a Derby fan. We've also spoke to quite a few people this season. Um, it takes that chance podcast, Brady. It takes the chance podcast, and everyone's got a decision where like they're mystified by, and it's refereeing decisions that have 
really spoil a lot of games in the Premier League this year. Not Premier League, the, sec uh, the second tier this year. Um, and we'll come on to the debate now because we've got a lot of comments about it. And the, ref and the standard of refereeing is getting worse. And we've had a lot of comments around the standard. Um, so Dave, Mac well, I'll read some of the comments we got and then we'll come up with the, the debate question. And um, Dave McNally says, I'm doing the next referees course available. Reckon I could get pro level purely on arrogance alone. Joseph <laughs> Joseph Josephson uh, says, how do we deal with referees conspiring against us? That's uh, what uh, Dave Platinum Brand says. Uh, how badly does Gavin Ward need to go, uh, need to, go to spec savers? Jake Viley uh, says, how do we deal with these constant mistakes from officials? As a club, we are consecutively getting big decisions turned against us. But how do we respond to this? This isn't just this isn't just us, though. All clubs are getting shafted by referees. Um, the FA needs to look at it. Cameron Heath also says, um, need to talk about these referees. Maybe not you and not just about the borough, but the standard of championship in the Premier League is utterly disgraceful. Needs to be properly addressed in the media. Otherwise, we'll keep they'll keep getting away with it, but please, no VAR. Um, and we got a like, Finn, the message was saying, we sh should we do, uh, should we have VAR in the, in the AFL? And Jake Farley and the local at Congo Bongo also says, can we have VAR in the AFL? But the debate question I want to push to is, is how can we improve the standard in the AFL for refereeing? What can we do to help them to improve the decision-making? It was... Uh I think um, we, we spoke about this before and I said I was kind of in favour of putting VR in, uh, into the AFL. Um, I still don't think it's perfect in its current form though and what I would have, li have liked to have seen VR become is kind of a model similar to what American sports do, like American football, uh, ice hockey. I'm sure they do something similar in cricket as well but I, I couldn't tell you off the top of my head exactly yeah, how that works. Where each coach gets two or three challenges a game. If you see a decision that you think should be challenged, should be reviewed, uh, you know, tell, tell the fourth official, uh, give us one of your challenges. If you get it right, you keep your challenge for, for later in the game and the decision's overturned. If it's wrong, your challenge is taken off you. I think that'd be the most fair way of doing it. It gives the, the referees the, the, um, the backup they need um, from from cameras around the stadium and being able to rewatch instance again um because as we we saw yesterday they're not very good at making up decisions on the spot um but also kind of gives gives managers a little less to to mourn about and there, there's been a lot of that from from a lot of different managers i'm not just talking about uh, neil warnock if if your your challenge is is overturned um You've got nothing to mourn about at the end of the game. You, you, you still might, but it'd be lessened, I think, by having it properly reviewed. Mm. Dana? I just think that you've got to take them out of the firing line. If they've made consecutive bad decisions, you've got to take them out of the firing line. But I'll give them some retraining or something. I just, it's, it's pitiful, really. And, and people say that VAR's ruining football, but for me, it's not the technology, it's the people behind it, and it's the rules and the people imposing the rules. The technology has the potential to be more of a help, but it is a hindrance at the moment because the <clears throat> the standard of officiating, as we've pointed out, is just not good enough. And, I mean, like I said, if, if a referee has made consecutively bad decisions, don't get them to referee the next couple of games and I'm not sure where that happens anyway I know that we see um we saw last week with Lee Mason and the 
the cock-up that he had with the Brighton game that he didn't take the next one. But it just seems as though they take referees out the firing line because of online abuse and fair enough. But they need to take them out for bad decisions as well. And I don't understand why they're so mollycoddled and why they're so protected. I mean, there was security on the pitch yesterday. Like, Neil Warnock's going to spark him out or something. It just didn't make sense. Like, why do they have some sort of bubble dome over them? And why are the FA and the governing bodies so intent on trying to filter what managers say about um, referees? You know, if a referee's made a mistake the manager's going to point that out because if it's, you know, impacted the game like it did yesterday, they have a right to feel aggrieved. And I just don't get it with referees. They are so overprotected. And <clears throat> it, it, I completely agree with Neil Warnock when he said yesterday that it's wrong. It's it's completely wrong. And, I mean, we just... What I would like to, to see or more here is is what you see in um, the Australian League of direct communication between the officials on pitch and it's filtered through in the TV. That's what I'd like to hear, just so that we know what what they're what they're saying, what they're thinking, um, stuff like that. But just yeah, retrain them, retrain them, retrain them, retrain them. I'm not sure that they know the the rules. The rules change every fortnight anyway, so the, the rules probably don't even know what the rules are. So. Yeah, I, I, it's it's baffling and it needs to be changed. I think the the constant change of the rules is making things a lot more difficult for for referees because there weren't a lot of rules weren't changed for a considerable yeah. amount of years. I think from like I think it was like from like two thousand and I think it was from the year two thousand about two thousand and ten. I think there's only one or two changes really, mm. and that was around more like more like offsides. Um, but do you think the amount of change we've had this season alone with like the handball rule? Um, offside and the li- and they put the lines in for VAR. Do you think that's a bit too much? We're trying to overcomplicate something very simple. I think so. Yeah, and the handball rule changed quite recently as well because the um, the Josh Major goal wouldn't would have stood um, with the new rules. And it, I mean, it's a fat load of good that, isn't it? I mean, you've got Fulham wanting to stay up and a goal ruled out that should have been given and you know they changed the rules after the fact and it's just like well that's not good enough you've got to Hmm. make the decisions and and make the rules and and put them in place at the beginning of the season um test them in pre-season games or whatnot and stick with them you know i I do think as though I do think that they have been overcomplicated, and it just doesn't need to be. They do change so much that, in fairness, I don't blame the referees for not knowing the rules because they do change that much. Um, but yeah, for me, it is a mixture of the people and the referees on the pitch and the rules themselves that are contributing to a really bad standard of refereeing, not just in this division or in the football league as a whole, but in English football period, like probably in the lower leagues as well. It's just not good enough, and I'm just, I'm just sick of it. You know, we've been impacted by it this season, and it just shouldn't be the case. Especially the first incident yesterday. I mean, it it's just you just can't comprehend that decision is made like that. Do you think, um, Tom? Do you think that referees should be mic'd up uh, through through the TV? And also, do you think that? Well, Finn's asked us the question. Do you think do you think referees should be interviewed after the games? Yeah, um, I saw a video um, only in the last couple of weeks. I don't know what league it was from. If it was even football, it might have been something like uh, rugby or Australian uh, rules football. 
where a referee came out after the game and had to kind of explain the uh, the decisions he made in big points of the game. And I'm in favour of that. I, I agree with Dana that they shouldn't be as protected as they are. They should have to come out after the game and explain the decisions. They shouldn't, you know, have security in front of them and telling managers to get off the pitch afterwards. They should give them an actual answer rather than, you know, having that kind of arrogance that, you know, we've made this decision. We don't even have to explain it. Just get off the pitch. Um, I haven't seen the um, being mic'd up during the game. Um, I imagine it, it could work, um, but I, I couldn't kind of comment too much on that. But I, I did like the um, the interview after after the game. I saw where the referee actually had to kind of explain the decisions he gave. Yeah, it, it, I feel like it would give a lot of clarity um, and protect them. But I think if, whilst VAR is not going to be, you know, not, probably not ready yet, uh, I feel like that the extra official would probably work. Um, where we had Joyce in the Europa League and the Champions League, where you'd have like five or six officials. That could be more beneficial for the EFL at the moment. There's ways that we can potentially improve it. Maybe get ex-players in to to sit down with referees and you know teach them more of like the dirty side of the game and things to look out for, or how we can uh, how we can manage the game a lot better. I think for me, when I when I was refereeing games, it was it was a lot easier for me because I could understand when I was playing what decisions I could make, but then all. So why players are doing certain things, why fouls, certain fouls are committed. It helps you manage the game and have a much better perspective um, on what happens and why things happen. But then when you do make a call and it is, say, controversial, you can use your knowledge to really back up your decision and your experience of playing um, to kind of say, well, I've actually made this decision because of X, Y, and Z, rather than just saying I've made this decision because it's the letter of the law. Um, I think it's too black and white, but a refereeing is also an opinionated game as well, where a ref- one referee might see something as a handball, one referee might not see it as a handball. That's, say, that's where you have the inconsistencies because um, it's opinionated. And Peter Walton will come in and just agree with the referee, as, as he usually does. Of course, Peter Walton will. Like, he's, he's gonna, he, it's like a refereeing union, really. You've got to try and stick together because you can't single out one referee or the whole thing. But look, the, the standard's not good. Um, and the reason why it's not good is because of the amount of pressure that we want things to be right. Um, not every decision is going to be correct, like a throw-in or a free kick. But I think it's as long as you get the big decisions right, then the little decisions don't matter. Um, and we have to try and have a focus on referees to try and improve that that standard of it. It, it must. It must be. It's like it's a hard job, a referee. Like no doubt about it. Like people that think that it's a, an easy thing to do, it's not. It is really difficult when you're by yourself and you're doing Sunday league refereeing. When you, when you're on your own, you've got to do all the offsides. Make sure you manage it correctly. If a decision doesn't go, if if like you make a bad decision, you're gonna you get a lot of stick. Like you do get a lot of it, and you've got you've got to be really tough skinned to do it. Uh, because if if you're not, you can crumble. And some referees are crumbling at that at the moment, and they're making the wrong decision. And it's based off like players' opinions or trying to swear the referee. They just need to take a real hold of the game, and hopefully. They can it can improve, but I think things right now in terms of how we can improve refereeing in the EFL is can we maybe look down the extra official route to help them out? Can we use that a review system might be helpful for them? Um, but then also maybe help ex players, you know, like or have like I don't know if they do sessions with like all the clubs at the start of the season. I think they do. I think we've got rule changes, um, but 
getting different perspectives of different people as to why things are going wrong. Do you think down, also... down the ex-players route, Johnny, do you think um, it could benefit from uh, ex-players actually going into refereeing after they retire? We see a lot of them going into like coaching and management, but we'd never see them really kind of going into refereeing afterwards, but that would give uh, a good amount of experience to, to referees, I think. I don't think a, an ex-player should be at the referee. I think an ex-player should be an advisor to that referee at the time. So when you are when you are refereeing and you're doing, say, your promotion, or you are you doing like every other game because what happens is you get assessed. So when I was refereeing games after like every six, seven games or like three or four times a season, I'd be assessed by someone to understand the quality of my refereeing decisions and how I would improve or how I make decisions and they would be an advisor to that. I feel like we should in the in the in the EFL in the Premier League you have someone there every game. Uh so if you have a flex football there you can you can educate them a lot more of the dirty side of the game which I think would be a massive improvement. But also with VAR too, like you could comfortably get an ex player in and get them to understand a decision. Is it a penalty or is it not a penalty? And I think their football and knowledge would really be beneficial to them. In the EFL, we don't have the the luxury of VAR, um, but that advisor role might be beneficial for them. And it's it's going to be a long process, unfortunately. Like I understand fans' frustration. I understand where man has come from because there's a lot of money on the line of football at the moment. There wasn't a lot of money on the line. No one would be asked. Um, if you want to improve it, you're going to have to take time to improve them you're going to have to put systems in place let those systems bed in let them take a long period of time to actually start to see the benefit of it and that's going to be like a three four year plan and i know fans want an instant change and i know fans want a a massive improvement on refereeing but i just don't see that quick fix coming anytime soon unfortunately like and it's frustrating like it is frustrating i can't believe we're having a debate about like referees for like the umpteenth time this year and like it's the first one I would de- like that little introduction of like the debate where we're going to probably make topics like or get people bring topics and we're going to dissect it but the like, the refereeing stuff it's just quite difficult it is difficult uh, it'd be interesting, interesting like your, your, your thoughts on like the, maybe the advisory role I don't know if, that, if that'd be quite a good decision for you guys or or what you think we should we should do next mm, I, I definitely agree with you that um Players shouldn't be, or ex-players shouldn't be referees because you've got umpteen clubs potentially that they could have ties to um, and potential biases within that. So I, I do agree with that. An advisory role would be good. Um, and I also do agree with the extra official. Um, I don't, I'm not quite sure why they got rid of that because that was a staple in the game a couple of years ago in European competition. I don't know whether they still have it now. Um, I think it's because um, not many referees are coming through the system. Oh, right. Because people, I don't. The thing is, I don't think people will want a referee now because yeah. you see the amount of abuse you get. And like, it, it look, it is it, like it is fun. It is fun refereeing games. Like, I probably, as I was on par with coaching, really, I really enjoyed coaching. But I was probably less stressed refereeing than I was coaching, and that's incredible, really, <laughs> to say that. But it's mm. like, I think with refereeing, the amount of abuse you get. On Sunday League, Saturday League, EFL, Premier League, the worst documented. Why would you want to put yourself through it? Do you know what I mean? Why would you? Why would you want Neil Warnock coming mm. up to you after like 90 minutes and just badgering you about the decision you made in the third minute where it had no impact on the game? Um, it's it, it, it's hard, but I think the, the level of referees coming through the system is decreasing because not many people want to do it. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's I, probably I, increased uh, scrutiny on it this year as well because yeah. every game is televised pretty much. So yeah. I think I feel like these decisions are getting picked up a, a lot more and and being picked up in the media a lot more and uh, like I say, scrutinised might be putting people off. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, they're going to say something there. I s- have I forgot? I don't. I think I forgot. I can't remember. No, it's, it's Wait, what, 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 uh, what were you talking about before? Your head's gone, on it? You've just had a mind blank. Head, your head's in the shed, yeah. Um, we're, we're basically <laughs> just like we're just like saying like on, on the 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 standards probably decreasing because the amount oh, of yeah. games that have been viewed, but then also the probably the level of refereeing is decreasing because there's not many people coming through the system. Yeah, I remember my point now. I mean, there is there is human error, of course there is. There's human error in every walk of life, but it's just cropping up so frequently, particularly this season. That you do start to think, you know, is is there some sort of conspiracy, particularly against Borough, because there's Neil Warnock and you know the, every referee's worst nightmare coming onto the pitch, shouting and bawling at them. Um, but you know, I think when it gets to a point where it isn't just the occasional human error, you've got to think: Are these referees up to par? And for me, the simple answer is no at the moment. Um, you know, there's a whole thread that I, I put on Twitter. Somebody put it on Twitter and I linked to it yesterday of all of the, the well I wouldn't say all some of the the bad decisions that have been made in the championship this season and that's just in one division we've seen so many uh, in the Premier League and I get that there's a lot of pressure you know I think I can only imagine that but there does get to a point where it just goes over the edge of human error and it's so consistent that it does filter into, well, are you even good enough to start with? Hmm. It's like, well, it's like to come back on you, is there ever going to be a perfect referee? Probably hmm. isn't, is there really? Like, no, no, the, of course the world's not. Best, yeah. the, the world's best referee is never going to exist. Like, likes of Howard Webb, who was renowned to be an outstanding referee, always got bad decisions at Manchester United. Maybe ties Man United, but who was like the referee that was the baller who was like with the really scary eyes? Was it Kalini or something? I can't remember. His name. Yeah, I think so. Heads gone. Heads absolutely just went. No, uh, it's, yeah, it's, his name's on on the forefront of my brain, but it's just not flashing up. For Google it. Um, but yeah, he was a great referee because he controlled the games, but he got bad decisions. Of course, he did like he made bad decisions, but yeah, it, it's I think it's hard. I think. No, I think with the amount of Kalina in the game, the amount of vi- Kalina, that's the one. Pierre Luigi Kalina. Did I say? Did I say it was the former Kalina? I think or Colacini was the Newcastle centre back. It's like a mix between Galini, the goalkeeper, and Colacini, the defender. Doesn't really matter, but it's like yeah, it's like that perfect referee probably won't exist. But it's like you kind of want to make those decisions right, and I think we can only improve it, but we can never perfect it. And this, that's the whole process of, of refereeing. And, and it's like football, there's never going to be like a perfect way of playing the game either. So many different rules. Everyone's going to have an opinion. And it's it's a very controversial topic. But I think there is ways you can improve it to a certain standard. But you can't probably hit the ceiling of perfection because it's just impossible to hit. But thanks for that debate, guys. I enjoyed that. And I've got one more question before we move on to... Uh, to st- the stock breakdown, and um, it's just from Charlie. He says, with the playoffs now over, uh, do you think it's best to try different players to evaluate for next season, or play, or or play what you think your best team is 
to make them gel more and have better momentum going into next season. So should we test new players or should we try and find the best squad uh, for the remainder of the season? Tom, do you want to take it? I think uh, try and get the best squad for the rest of the season. <clears throat> I think uh, it's taken so long to actually get the, the squad that we actually want. Uh, you know, we address certain parts in the summer and then, you know, what we were missing in January. I think still try and play play your best team, uh, get them to gel. If you think anyone is going to stay past the end of the season, obviously in- include them in the team. Um, but don't just kind of chop and change for, for the sake of it. Um, what I will say is it, it's it's not over yet. I mean, it was only a couple, uh, like a week or two ago, we were saying after a, a couple of wins, oh yeah, it could be back on now. Um, and now it, it's it's kind of like oh yeah they're gone again. Um, there's there's always that team that picks up momentum at the end of the season and, and sneaks in. So you know we we win the next couple of games, we could be having a different conversation come the, the start of April. So yeah, ju- just keep the best team for now. Um, let them gel and then carry some momentum into next season. I'm assuming we won't go up, but keep that momentum going. Yeah. Uh, Dana, would you anything to add to that or would you, would you agree, disagree? No, I'd, I'd agree. I do disagree with the, the playoff point, though. I do think that's gone for us. Barnes, the other team with momentum, so I think you know it, it won't be our time. But yeah, I think maybe a bit of both. I would like I would like to see a couple of the youngsters be um, blooded through, featuring substitute appearances or whatnot. But I do agree with Tom's point about building some momentum. I mean, some of these players are playing for contracts as well, and they're playing for their futures. Even the loan players like Cabano potentially <coughs> could be back next season. So yeah, I would I would keep the the squad or, or the team somewhat similar because of late, particularly we have had a couple of chopping and changing in personnel and systems. So. Yeah, stick with a with a formation and uh, a team as a whole, and and like Tom said, hopefully it spills into next season's momentum. So I think probably the last six games, I think we'll start to see some younger players come through and, and start playing for Borough. But let's chat about Stoke and next Saturday. Uh, Borough have a, a week off, of course, and Saturday they play against Stoke City. Uh, the last game we played against Stoke, it wasn't particularly a great watch, but. We'll chat about it and break it down. So I'm going to pass the mic over to you guys and let's break down Stoke. Yeah, so in terms of form, they're currently 10th in the championship form table. One point behind us and we've moved up drastically over the last five games into 7th. Um, they, they've won two of their last five games. Uh, they beat Wickham 2 in the little home yesterday. Uh, lost to Swansea 2-1 at home midweek. Another dodgy penalty there, but we won't get into that one. It was a dodgy for, penalty. Very dodgy. <laughs> be here for another half hour. Um... We they lost two one to to Brentford away before that two 0 to Barnsley away and then before that beat Luton three 0 at home so not on the best form at the moment. Mm, not in the best form, Dana. Yeah, um, that Wickham um, victory stopped a lot of three successive defeats. Um, in the actual league table, they sit ten uh, tenth, two points below Borough, so they they were sort of flirting with the playoffs at one point but their 2021 has been quite bad so far Uh, two wins one draw and three defeats um you know if the league started on the 1st of january they'd actually be 21st so they've strolled a little bit uh this year and i think tyrese campbell has been a massive part of that struggle um i think he's on six goals this season he's you know he was being fantastic for them before he got his injury obviously he's been Mm, out since yeah out since and then i don't think they've quite managed to 
sort of um, replace him, although Nick Powell has done yeah. a, a pretty good job. He's got 11 goals this season. Um, there is a weakness in Nick Powell, not as we've seen. His um, ill-discipline got sent off last time against us, so if we can push his buttons, maybe he'll get sent off again. Um, but, you know, the fans are, are saying that um, you know they've been playing a few different formations this season. They've been toying between three and five at the back and a couple of different variants. Um, and a lot of them are thinking that Michael O'Neill should play a forty-three-one because it best suits the personnel that they've got. Um, or they should play with it and stick with it, should I say? Because when Michael O'Neill came into Stoke, that was what he was playing, and he actually had a lot of fortune mm. with that. Um, they're also saying that Jack Clark, former Borough target um, on loan from Spurs, uh, should be starting every game. Apparently looks uh, very bright. Um, and yeah, just some key stats to finish off with. They've, they've actually lost their last three um, away games. And in those three away games, they've conceded at least two goals. So there's, you know, there's there's definitely something in yeah. that for Borough to be able to hopefully take advantage. Um, I don't know who the referee is. We'll have to see later on this week. Um, hopefully it's someone that will um, referee the game well. Yeah, well, Johnny. <laughs> I'll, I'll referee it. I'd, I'd, I'd probably enjoy that. I'd probably. I'd get, it'd be. I'm well. Like I'm not. I'm out of shape at the minute. Like so. Good luck when you. Yeah. Good luck. Yeah. And there's not. There's not a chance I'm going to be doing it. Um, I'm knackered after five minutes running at the minute. I haven't done like. I've done like like high intensity workouts, but anything like that. I've struggled this year. Um, but in terms of Stoke style of play, Dana. Um, I think it might suit us to be honest I think it really might suit us they're an aggressive side they love putting crosses in the box um, and they're quite similar to us really in a certain style of play so when we've played those type of teams it can even be a really dull game um, or it can suit us to a team I think with the crosses the way we defend the crosses and the, our performances um, against teams that like to cross the ball in the box have been very promising I think Borough will probably stick with three at the back make things compact and make things really difficult for them to to get the second ball in the box and I think it's a it's a good opportunity for Borussia to try and grind our result here I think we can really do it um, I think if we are going to do it I think we should chop and change the way we go forward I think the through ball is going to probably be more suited to us when I think of Danny Bart and, and, and I think it was is it Suter I can't there's, pronounce his name yeah, and then James Chester as well and James Chester as well they're not really blessed with pace and I think Tuba might have a, have a bit of a field day over there unless Fletcher's back as well we might incorporate Fletcher too but I think when you look at the team we've got, we've got Cabano and Balassi and Tav, and um, if you want to play what more in there, you can. Uh, but true, but I think it'd be a good opportunity for us to really be fluid in our build-up play, get the ball on the deck, try and get in behind, pull the defenders apart. And I think that's where we'll find success. But if if we don't from there, it could it could very much be a, a Cardiff game where it's long ball after long ball and very very boring for the neutral, which we did see. And what the bet three six five stadium. So it'd be an interesting game, but what's your predictions, guys? Do you think that Borough are gonna grind a result out or do you think Stoke gonna win or do you think it's gonna be one of the most boring draws of all time? I think Tom I'm... gonna go first. Ooh, go on, Dana. Uh, go on, no, go on, Dana. Go no, on, Dana. I'll Sorry. Let, no, I'll let Tom go first. <laughs> I'm gonna go with two nil to Borough. Um I feel like if if we can play like we did yesterday, uh which I would argue we deserved the win yesterday. Um, then we'll do well against most teams we have left to play uh, this season. So two nil, two nil for Tom. Uh, Dana. Yeah, I'm gonna go similar, but I think Stoke will score, so I'm gonna go with uh, two one. Two one for Dana, two nil for Tom, and I'm gonna go two one as well, Dana. I think it's gonna be a, it's it's gonna, but I think Borough are gonna grind out a result. I think we'll probably get something, but uh, it's a. Uh, 
going to be quite a hard one, I think. I thought I'd go for the neutral. Oh, no. <laughs> it's going to be 5-5, five, five, isn't it? It'll be 5-5. Five, five. <laughs> I hope so. Um, that'll, be, that'll be fun. It'll be nice, yeah. I can't can't deal with the pain anymore uh, with watching Borough get beat at home. Uh, but hopefully that fortune can change, and that's pretty much it. Guys, thank you very much for joining me, as always. I really enjoyed today's pod. It was good to vent and also just debate the referee and obviously like secretly announce our guest, which is coming on Wednesday. So make sure, guys... You subscribe to our channel for Wednesday at 7pm. YouTube's going to be live um, at 7pm, but then also on the podcast apps too. And we're going to announce the guest as well tomorrow, so please keep an eye on our socials too. And that's it. Um, Borough lose out to a questionable refereeing decision. Neil Warnock signed a new deal. Boris promotion charge starts in, in August, but there's going to be no title on the line this time. This has been the Borough Breakdown podcast, and that was all your match day chat in a pod. Up the board breakdown. <laughs>